Yes, guys, what is good? You are tuned into Pi Radio, Manchester's number one youth-led radio station. My name's Gerns, and this is Mango Masala, the South Asian show. I am here with Halima. My usual, what's up, guys? <laughs> I thought you were going to add your embellishments to it. What happened to that? I don't know what embellishments to add. I oh. feel like a simple, classic, what's up, guys? That's my thing, you what's know. What's up, guys? What's up guys? Wow. This is why you're here. This is why they got you up high because you're so talented. Oh, thank you so much. How are you though, Halima? How has the last week been? I know last week you were a bit um down in the dumps. But how are we this week? Um, I feel alright. I feel, I, yeah, no, I feel, I feel good. I feel good. Um, my friend came to visit, so she was over like this week, um, from London. So I've been really busy actually. Um, been taken around like, Manny. We went to like Leeds. We went to Wales. Oh, um, you really been taken around, literally. Round, round, yeah. We did some hiking. Um, even though the weather was terrible, I've just been telling Carlos that, like, especially this summer, like, I feel like people wait with such anticipation in this country for summer because it's, I mean, the only time we have any decent weather. Mm. Um, but this summer has just been a flop. I feel like in terms of weather, I feel like it's not. Mm. I I just haven't had the summer vibe this year. Um, and it's and weird because I feel like we kind of expected that more this year compared to last year but now i look back on it last year last year was more of a summer right i actually enjoyed my summer like i had Mm. a sick summer last year like um but yeah no we've just not had a summer vibe and it's been raining and and it's just got to the point where it's like you you keep putting things off because you're like oh this will be great in good weather and this is well we wait for the sun we wait for the sun but like we live in great britain the sun is never going to come out you know so i've just kind of learned to like firm things and still go ahead with plans and not wait for the sun Mm. Um, well, that's the thing I was just saying. Like, you obviously put your Instagram story about you. You're like, oh, you know what? The rain. It doesn't look that bad. Like you, you up, yeah. up in like the mountains, looking at the fog and everything. And I was like, is this actually Halima that's saying that she actually doesn't mind the rain? Because it looks good. So like, whenever we go, we go quite hiking quite a lot, and every time we go, we always go like when it's good weather. That's like one of our favorite like summer activities as a family, right? And this was the first time I went in like like you know not great weather and I, and I was kind of like begrudgingly going and I just I went because my friend really wanted to go and all that kind of stuff but then when you got to the top like there's something about and the clouds were really really low that day like we were literally on top of the mountain and we could see the clouds moving um and it was just it was just quite nice it was almost like eerie you know like the fog and the mist mm. and the cold and like it was just a very different oh, view so like gothic yeah very yeah. gothic exactly very gothic a level english lit oh did you there do so i did gothic at a level english lit as well what did you do frankenstein yeah, that's frankenstein. exactly where my mind's going like that whole yeah vibe. yeah yeah it was lit you know i really mm. enjoyed that yeah no i i think frankenstein was one of the books that i read that i actually was like i actually enjoyed it so did i yeah. so did i that's very clever i haven't come across another book that's like the whole for those of you that don't know, it's it's basically like a, a cake with layers, and it's like mm-hmm. it's like someone's perspective, and then they start telling a story, and then someone yeah. else starts telling a story, and then it was back out. Like I just thought that's really yeah, cool. it was. Re- I really enjoyed it, which is like seeing a lot because I don't particularly enjoy like British literature. Mm. So I'm sure the fact that it was written by a woman has nothing to do with that. I mean, it probably helped, but also it was a white woman, so that's still not really my bag, you know. But. <laughs> I I, 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 I enjoyed it. Your life yeah, you did try. You tried. You tried. But no, I I enjoyed yeah. the book for what it was. I enjoyed it. Yeah, no, I enjoyed it. Good times. Well. Good times. I miss English. I, miss I, I just miss sixth form. In fact, whilst we're on, let's just get into the sixth form. How I know you said that your um experience of sixth form was quite whitewashed in a sense. Yeah. It's quite um still not as what's it called. I want to say liberal, but you know, not as diverse, not yeah. as um, free as yeah. university. But how was your sixth form experience overall looking back? And this is especially in light of obviously it was results day last week. So I I loved sixth form. Not gonna lie, like I had a great time. I had mm. like a really because my so the high school that I went to, my year was the first year of the sixth form. So they just opened the sixth form. We were the first year. So we were, especially in year 12, like we didn't have year 13s. It was just us. And it was about 50 people in the entire sixth form. So we were really, really small. And 
it was just really tight knit. Everyone was like really close. Like everyone was friends, and like the vibe was just good. I enjoyed it. Like I know it's not the case for everyone at that sixth form, but I personally I enjoyed it. Like with my friendship groups and yeah, I had a great time, man. Yeah. No, I think looking back on it, my sixth form experience, it was definitely very sixth form and not college. Which looking back on, I used yeah, to feel, same. I think yeah. Yeah, I used to feel a bit like mm, about that because I was like looking at my age mates and seeing some people who were having so much more independence and just yeah. being just being treated a lot more as young adults, whereas we were being treated as young adults but still within the confines of oh you need to do this, school you need rules, to do yeah. that. And I think that's probably a lot to do with the school that I went to. Yeah. But I think just in terms of that period of time outside of school and especially. I think year 13 for me was just a really fun year. Yeah. I think, I think, I think that age as well, like 17, yeah. 18, those ages you're really kind of like growing up, you're coming into yourself, you're, you're kind of like finally getting a lot of freedoms, you know, like not just mm-hmm. in school, but in your personal life as well. Yeah. Um, Figuring a lot of things out, experiencing a lot of things for the first time as well. Yeah. That's why I kind of, I feel bad for the people that are... Missed out that age. I know, like, yeah. so basically the people that have got their results, the A-level results last week, they will have been in sixth form at that age for basically of those two years three half, quarters half, of that half, like literally three year. yeah no, literally three quarters of that is covid because you think yeah. about it, that was march yeah. so they missed half of last year and yeah. then all of this year pretty that's much true. like and also to be fair that's also the case for like uni students like freshers you know because that freshers mm. for me was sick i'm not gonna lie first year was sick first year was like I don't think I'm going to have a year like it. I just had zero responsibility. It was just vibes. Yeah. The entire year was just chaos and vibes. I just wish I'd appreciated that more at the time. Like, I was still, like, I had fun. But yeah. I think it took me a term to actually get into the idea of, okay, yeah, I can actually afford to not necessarily... Be working be, all the time. Yeah. Oh, and, like, Carlos, can't fun. relate. I know. <laughs> can't relate. I, I just wish... That, that's why I kind of, like, first term, I was, like, very much, like, still, like doing everything that i could mm. possibly do and then second term i was like you know what i need to take advantage of this and yeah 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 fun. yeah yeah but yeah, yeah first I, year was the best vibes man. yeah so i feel bad for my sister she's in um just finished second year so like she was the same oh. so she had half a year of uni and then just yeah lockdown yeah that's terrible man. that's terrible. yeah peak but then to be fair at least she had that half a year of freshers Rather than that's the people true. that had freshers this year. That's true. That, that's not freshers. If you had freshers this year and you're listening, that's not freshers. That's not my cousin. So he mm. started, yeah, he, he started in September 2020. So it's this the, his just finished his first year. And he just, like, he wanted to drop out, to be fair. Like, and I don't yeah. blame him. I think so many people did. Like, yeah. Did, did um, he go into uni, like, as into Also, well, he that. went, he, he, he's at Sheffield and he, um, yeah, he moved out. He moved out because he, I think at the time it was very touch and go and it was kind of like, oh, everyone was still very hopeful that the restrictions were going to be lifted soon. So it was like, okay, maybe the first time will be a bit stifled and then after that, like, things yeah. will start to go back to normal. Um, and he ended up coming home after, like, the first term because, like, it's just... And to mm-hmm. be fair, do you know the thing is as well, like, uni, as fun as first year is, or just in general, to be fair, like, uni can feel isolating sometimes, you know, like you know you're living away from home and like you know that's like if you're away from your home base your friends and your family and stuff like that it can sometimes feel a little bit lonely and especially if you're devoid now of all kind of like social life that that i can't imagine how difficult that must have been i would really would have struggled to be honest yeah and especially the um it was mad wasn't it at the start of the academic year that around um around this time last year um when you had all the, the unis were like, yeah, comes to uni. Um, all these kids went to uni, and then immediately Lockdown. these. Lo- but then there was not. It was even lot. There was like the restrictions that they yeah. were imposing on um, students, yeah. the student halls, which made they made sense to a certain extent, like the the idea behind it. However, it wasn't what they were sold. Like they were told that they yeah. could come back to uni and actually like yeah. it'd be normal. Be at uni. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah, then yeah, they yeah. come there and they're paying the same amount of money mm. and they're just being stuck in their rooms all yeah. day. And I think like horror stories of like people being yelled at for socializing in, in their own yeah. flat kitchen. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, there was a whole like mental health epidemic as well, I wasn't know, it? I mean, yeah. there is generally with uni students and unis and, and, and a lot of unis are not great 
we're dealing with that but i think the pandemic really exacerbated some of that there was unfortunately some kind of like student deaths as well yeah you know, in manchester there was someone that um ended yeah. up taking their own life but going back to um like student life in general obviously it was results day for both gcse's and a levels last week and i was just thinking like now that we are how many years are we now 2015 so we're six years since our last results day crazy and now looking back on that how do you feel like looking back like how because the thing is this is the thing that i can imagine you like still being very chilled like at that time but looking back on it how do you think feel about how you felt then now I mean, I've, n- I've never had, like, a terrible results day. Mm. Um, so I just I just always was fine. To be honest with you, I was fine. I think for my GCSEs, I was quite nervous. Well, so, so the thing is, is, like, I did my GCSE, like, in staggered fashion. So, like, I did some exams in year 10, and, like, I did certain modules, like, throughout year 10 and year 11. So I was receiving results for them. And when I was receiving results for them, I was very, like, I was so nonchalant. I did my French GCSE in year 9, and I remember the night before my exam, it was my cousin's wedding and I was in Luton at 4am, like dancing on the motorway. And then, I, and, then the ne- and then I went home, had like a few hours sleep and then sat my GCSE exam. I was so nonchalant that I didn't even know that it was my actual GCSE exam. Like that is how out of touch I was with like schooling at the time. Mm. Uh, and then even then, like in year 10, as I was doing modules, I was still very like just not taking anything really seriously. Mm. Um, and then throughout my GCSEs, again, I just was kind of just doing things, you know, I was just like coasting a little bit. And then, but I did feel quite nervous in results day because it was like the big major first like results yeah. day. And also in my family because I'm the eldest daughter. So like for my parents as well, that was their like first big results day with any of their children. So I did feel quite nervous, but yeah, I've, I've never, like I said, like I, I never really had a bad results day. So mm. my experiences have all kind of been fine. I do think looking back on it now, like the thing is like at a level i still did well Mm. but i think especially because of the school that i went to i was very much disappointed that i didn't do better so i was very much Mm. there's that pressure to kind of get like all like top grades etc so looking back and i remember at the time just feeling like so deflated like about that even even though i'd still done well yeah. and i'd got easily got the grades i needed to go to uni all of that yeah. and i think just looking back on that i want to like emphasize to anyone listening like obviously results are important they mm-hmm. should be taken seriously however they're not the be all and end all yeah, and if if you don't end up getting what you're wanting to get there is still plenty of yeah. ways that you can get to where you want to be or go down a different yeah. path like it's it's not the end no and also and also to make sure that you don't look at result your like you know exam results as being indicative of your like ability and your capability mm. because it's not the case like some people might be super super smart and intelligent and they just might not take you know they might just just not might not take to exams quite well enough yeah you know or some people might not particularly be like academic or studious in that sense but be like really intelligent in in loads of other ways and able yeah. in loads of other ways so it's like the, the I mean the the education systems like standardized education education systems are inherently flawed. I think we we discussed this in one yeah. of our episodes. The so, idea of just one two hour exam determining yeah. every that everything that you for know every about student that, regardless of temperament and yeah. need and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, definitely take these things with a pinch of salt. You know. Yeah, and you'll get to where you want to be. Just yeah. keep your head up and just yeah. And I think especially congrats to you guys. Uh, I'm talking, I hope we've got some people listening that have been doing their exams. But like, um, obviously you've done your exams during a time where it's been, everything's been up in the air, hasn't it? So mm-hmm. that in itself that is in a itself major is such achievement. An achievement. I know, I it's can't so, it's, imagine. It, it's difficult because I did half of my master's mm. um, in in pandemic time. When I say half of my master's, I did basically all of it because I didn't do any work until like, completely last minute and it was hard it was actually hard like it's not easy so definitely be proud of yourself for even being able to do that for sure right we're gonna play a little bit of music now and then when we come back we're gonna get into the main subject of today which is obviously what has been going on in afghanistan most recently yeah. and also the past 20 30 even more Over years, years yeah, yeah. literally yeah. 
Yes, guys, what is good? You're tuned into Pi Radio, Manchester's number one youth-led radio station. My name's Gerns, and I am joined here by Halima. Hey, guys, how is everyone? Okay, that was dead. I'm not gonna lie. Rewind. I'm hey, joined... guys, how is everyone? No, but why you changed it? it was, oh, oh hate... what's up, guys? Because I just, I don't know. I feel like I just say the same thing over and over again. Was that supposed to be like my trademark, like slogan? I give, I give up. Oh, sorry, Carla. You know when it's like, um, what's sorry, it? Sorry, you know, you know I really like... didn't think it would be that much of a big deal, mm. me saying hi to people in a different way. I'm sorry. You know when it's like Mulan, it's like, um, Donny Osmond, I'll make a man out of you, that song. Yeah. It's like that. That's I'll, a I'll, I'll, I'll make a, yeah, well, well, it's, it's, a, it's a tune, but yeah, like, we tuned. won't we won't get into like the whole, <laughs> I'll make a man out of you thing. However, one day I'll make a, um intro out of you thank you carlos i'll very much appreciate that let's be swift as a soaring river did you have you watched the live action one nah no neither because i get obviously there's quite a lot of controversy around it yeah obviously with the lead actress coming out in support of the um, chinese or is it the hong kong government basically going against the the protests in hong kong And then also, I get that obviously it's meant to be better in terms of it actually sticks more to the historical oh, story. It? But it's not a musical either. But, but that's the thing, like, it doesn't have the music in it. So yeah, like, mm. forget that, forget that. Yeah. Mulan has some great tracks. Yeah, the 90s, Disney, like, yeah. iconic. For those of you that don't know, it's the Renaissance era, era of Disney. Is it really? Yeah, that's what wow, it's called. Okay. Basically from Little Mermaid in 1989, turned things around for them. I did and, not know that. Yeah, learn something new every day. But yeah, those movies, we are lucky to be of like what's it called, be born in that era. To be fair, I there. didn't watch them when they were coming out because like my parents are such raging immigrants. <laughs> I grew up in Bollywood. I only really watched like the the same way that most people like in the West grew up with like Disney films. I grew up with Bollywood films, um, and I only really watched started watching them like when I was older. So a lot mm. of classics I watched. At a later later stage in my life, so I didn't really yeah. get the kind of the magic of Disney when I was younger. Yeah, I'm the exact opposite of that. Like really? I grew up with like all the Disney, and then didn't grow up with the Bollywood, and then later on look back at all the classics. And yeah. Then, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I wish we could have had a little in between, but oh well. Oh. Well, you, you don't regret that, do you? No, I don't. No, I, fair. I choose Bollywood every day. Fair enough. Anyway, getting on to the main talking point of today yeah obviously i don't understand how you won't have seen the news because it's literally been like all yeah, over everywhere. it i think it's the, you know what i think it's been the first time where covid hasn't necessarily been like the main the yeah like because even before when um significant stuff was happening elsewhere in the world covid was still the main priority whereas i think this is actually at the forefront of the news mm-hmm. so um, for those of you that don't know, the Taliban have now come back into power, essentially, yeah. mm-hmm. in Afghanistan. But officially. Yeah. Um, since they were um, ousted in 2001 mm. when the US invaded Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of um, Afghans are not very happy about this. They really don't like what the Taliban stand for. They're yep. complete desperation to get out of there. I've seen some mm-hmm. horrific videos of people literally trying to cling onto planes and then inevitably folding off like it's actually awful (sighs) however something like this always kind of brings up people putting their two penneth in and not necessarily understanding the the certain nuances and like the contextual factors that are at play here and exactly what's gone on Mm -hmm. for example a lot of people who are putting forward feminist thoughts what they think to be feminist in terms of what the taliban stand for in terms of having a history Mm -hmm. of not being um, great towards women Mm -hmm. however yeah it's a lot to unpack so i was thinking we first talk a bit about the history of afghanistan as an area and what happened in the late 20th century early Mm -hmm. 21st century and then later on getting into how that's come to Yep. where we're at now and yeah, yeah so um so there is the afghanistan is obviously a gosh there's so much to unpack here there's literally centuries of history to unpack here um a lot of people think of this as a very kind of a, a, a modern um 
phenomenon and what's going on in Afghanistan right now. They think it's a very modern history and it's actually not. I saw something the other day that um, someone had writ- someone had written saying that in the first Sherlock Holmes story, which was released in 1887, Watson had um, come home from his tour in Afghanistan. In the 2010 TV adaption, Watson had also come home from his tour in Afghanistan. Now, in the 123-year span between the first story and the TV adaption, Britain's involvement in Afghanistan, Britain's presence in Afghanistan had not ceased. Oh, it had ceased and, and, and you know, um, begun again. But basically, like, that whole issue of, like, Western imperialism in Afghanistan had not ceased. And it's not just the 123 years between, the you know, the story and the, the TV adaption. It was way before that from the time of, you know, the British Raj and beyond that as well, and way after the TV series, like, to this day. Um, so I I wanted to talk a little bit about kind of, like, the history of the region and, and to help people really understand... Because, again, people think that this is a um, geo-specific problem, that, that it's a, a problem specific to... I mean, they call it the Middle East. Afghanistan is not even the Middle East. It's, it's South Asia, you know, like, it's Central South Asia. Um people think it's a very specific it's an afghan problem um caused by afghan people and it's absolutely not the case at all like th- what what is happening today the fallout that we're seeing today is a direct not even indirect a direct result of western intervention in afghanistan of western imperialism in afghanistan um so to give you a little bit of context the, pro- the, the 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 problem that we see the issue that we see um as rendered how it is today really kind of took root in the like 80s um in the 70s and 80s where um oh hang on let me get the exact date up when during the it was always during the cold war um so for those of you who don't know the cold war was basically like a power struggle between the u.s um and the ideology of capitalism and then the ussr and the ideology of communism um and Afghanistan at the time during the Cold War had elected a democratically elected socialist government um, and they were obviously sympathetic to like the USSR and the USSR was sympathetic to them um, and the US doing what they do with their you know imperialist tendencies um, decided to basically train and arm local uh, resistance movements like guerrilla fighters against the socialist government um, because it was a proxy war like what was happening in Afghanistan versus you know with the Afghan government and the guerrilla fighters was a proxy war between the US and the USSR and 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 ideologically it was a proxy war between you know the ideologies of capitalism and communism at the time now um what happened was that they armed and they trained like guerrilla fighters right um they were known as the mujahideen so the mujahideen were basically local afghans who um they wanted to overthrow the socialist government um and the u the, the u.s basically backed them they they trained them they funded them and i'm not just talking about small small training and funding like huge amounts of funding and training that they gave to the mujahideen um and the USSR are also very, very complicit and, and they're also a culprit in this because essentially what happened was that um, the Mujah- because of Afghanistan's like topography, because it's very mountainous, um, the U- the USSR could not fight the, the Mujahideen on like in, in flat land and, and in larger cities because the, U- the Mujahideen would hide in like the countryside and the mountainous areas. So essentially what the USSR did was they started bombing these villages and these rural areas, um, killed all livestock, killed farmers, like mass civilians en masse. Um, and it forced like an exodus of Afghan civilians from the countryside into the cities. Um, and as a result of this, like again, the US, the US would then um, further emboldened the Mujahideen, right? Um, so eventually the Mujahideen were able to, to basically gain control. They were able to topple the socialist government. Um, they took control of Afghanistan as a country. What the US, assu- US and Britain assumed was going to happen was that the Mujahideen would then emerge as a nation state the same way that happened in Saudi Arabia because it's a very similar story in Saudi, Saudi Arabia where the Brits had implemented Wahhabism, which is an extreme fundamental sect of like Islam. Um, and then they just emerged as a nation state. So like 
this 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 extremist group then became like the Saudi government, and they assumed that that was going to happen with um, the mujahideen in in Afghanistan. However, what, what you know, so when um, I mentioned the Soviets were bombing the civilians in the countryside, as a result of that, obviously there was um, a refugee crisis. So a lot of refugees had to flee to neighboring Pakistan. Um, and the especially children so it, it was a lot of children that had to flee to neighboring pakistan and whilst they were in pakistan the only access to like um schooling and living and like care that they had was in um pakistan like um madrasas which are like islamic schools right but they were fundamentalist islamic schools so you have to imagine these are young boys who have they've lost everything they've witnessed like great trauma their entire families have been killed their homes have been like bombed there they've been completely displaced they're now in in you know in this foreign country and they find themselves extremely vulnerable extremely confused as to what has been happening to them and then they get radicalized in these madrasas right they get radicalized and that is what created the taliban so these boys then grew up to become the taliban they they grow up they you know they they become trained they are radicalized they you know now come forward and they have this their own kind of like um you know political agenda and what they do is they start to reclaim afghanistan so <clears throat> they then go back to afghanistan and the thing is the taliban are um the us are also training the taliban now by the way because they assume that they would have control of the mujahideen they don't so now they like start training and funding the taliban um so the taliban oh, are in the 80s or 80s and 90s. 90s this is yeah. now yeah so um yeah so the taliban the thing is that they're even more extreme than the mujahideen now they're, they're, they're way more extreme than the Mujahideen. Um, they're way more um, organized. Um, their political kind of like agendas and affiliations are more uh, coherent than like the Mujahideen because the Mujahideen had a lot of fa- factions um, because essentially what the people that made up the Mujahideen were like Afghan tribes people. So there were varying tribes. And as a result, when the Mujahideen, the reason they could not form a nation state was because there was too much factionalism. Whereas the Taliban, they were a lot more organized, more coherent as a group. Um, they then came into power in the you know in um in afghanistan they 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 they, they took they took power and then obviously 9-11 happened and that was a complete watershed because before 9-11 the u.s were training the taliban again for like anti-communist purposes 9-11 happened al-qaeda has links they're very aligned ideologically and materially they're aligned with the taliban um and then obviously and this is what is what a lot of people don't realize because a lot of because the the kind of mainstream narrative and rhetoric is that the US invaded Afghanistan Iraq on the basis of you know so so now we're in the war of terror the war on terror sorry the war on terror for those of you who don't know was you know the war that the US waged on Iraq and Afghanistan um as a, in response to 9/11 and what they deemed to be a wider problem of islamic fundamentalism and extremism and terrorism basically um, and people believe they they wage the ground they wage the war on the grounds of fighting terrorism and that's what the mainstream narrative is but that is not true um, because I mean in Iraq they waged it on falsified falsified grounds because they said of oh, they had WMDs uh, weapons of mass destruction and they were never found um, and in Afghanistan again with because of their links to Al Qaeda. Um, however, one thing that a lot of people don't know is that the Taliban actually offered um, to hand in bin Laden to the US government. They literally, they said, we will we will hand him to you. You can take him to The Hague. You can get him tried. Um, and, and Bush said no. Like George Bush, the, the, the president at the time, he said no. And instead he was like, I want to crack down on these guys, like, you know, rain fire on these guys. And thus began the war on terror. I think as well as if we're looking at specifically 9-11, how many of the actual hijackers were from Afghanistan or Iraq? I think oh, none I of them. No, I, don't, I don't think any of the. None of them were from Afghanistan. Maybe one of them was from Iraq. Right. Okay. So yeah. you think about the war and terror that began on these countries mm-hmm. when, and if you not that it would ever be justified anyway, but when you mm. think about the fact that none of them actually even took part in nine eleven yep. itself. Yep. Yep. Yeah, so it makes and, it even more ludicrous. Yeah, really. and 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 really, what we have to, we have to understand, like the the war on terror was not a war on terrorism; it was a war on um, 
I mean, it, it was it was a modern rendition of uh, Western imperialism, essentially, because Afghanistan is much like Iraq, Iraq and oil, and Afghanistan is very, very rich in minerals. Um, the things that like uh, char- lithium, like they're, they're very, very rich in, uh, like I think three trillion worth of like minerals had been like extracted. Um, so, and also another thing we have to understand is war is extremely profitable extremely extremely profitable for the the western country the like us and uk um, at the time when bush announced the war when he refused the taliban's offer of, of them handing in bin laden and when he said no i'm gonna you know wage a war on you instead um in his administration there were six men who were executives at lockheed martin which are one of the largest um weapons produ- producers arms producers in the world um is that a coincidence like is that a coincidence mm. uh, like, no it's not um there are figures that i can't remember from the top of my head that will demonstrate just how lucrative the war on terror was um just how much money was made um, by the war on terror because obviously if you're gonna fight a you know how, how long was it a 20 year war um you're gonna need 20 years worth of weaponry you know and arms and bombs um i think the figure was that during the war on terror 49 bombs were dropped every single day every single day 49 dro- bombs were dropped um it affected um oh god i can't remember like 30 plus countries um yeah like i can't like the, the figures are out there i can't remember them from the top of my head but like it's 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 mind-blowingly it was mind-blowingly lucrative for the for the us um especially because of afghanistan's like um geopolitical advantage like where it's where it's located politically and in terms of its like material resources um and yeah so like um i, I think i think a study found that 90 percent of the people that were hit by bombs were civilians as in like innocent civilians as well so um the war on terror caused a millions of deaths millions of like refugees um both in afghanistan and in iraq completely completely destabilized those countries um gave them absolutely no no chance to like recover the the us recently withdrew i can't remember if it was earlier this year or last year um that they withdrew and as a result, the tab- Taliban have taken control. So, like, if if yeah, if, think- if the US have fought a war for twenty years, um, where like trillions of of US taxpayer money has gone into this war, with the single kind of objective of defeating Taliban and you know Islamist extremism, why the Taliban returned to power like less than a year after they, they've withdrawn? That's the thing; they haven't even fully withdrawn yet. That's no, like, um, Biden's. Um, aim was as a sort of like a symbolic gesture was that it would be completely removed by um september the 11th of this year oh as in my the, the god 20 that, year is mark since, that is honestly that is sickening. Yeah. that's really sickening a symbolic gesture mm. these people are disgusting i'm sorry they're disgusting this is the thing is and you know it's um, bad as well because there's sort of after the reign of donald trump there's yeah. sort of a uh, want amongst um i wouldn't just say just americans but the rest of the world to kind of be a bit like yeah we're much better now like hopefully this, this surely this can't be as bad as donald trump now but the amount of criticism that biden is getting for what has happened here you know that it's got to be really bad if people are even up in arms and not being like oh well at least it's not as bad as donald trump you know what i mean yeah um I think as well, like, so I've spoken, obviously, thus far, very specifically about the history of Afghanistan uh, and, Af- and Afghan and the history of Afghanistan and Afghanistani people are, are is, is 100 percent key in the story of, um, well, Islamophobia. Right. So I, I obviously as a Muslim, I, you know, I've had certain discussions with my non-Muslim friends where about Islamophobia um, and. 9-11 saw the spike a, a global spike in islamophobia um the kind of um how do you call it the, the you know the villainizing of muslims and and yeah. islam like so many stories of uh, young boys called osama that like 
wanted to change their names yeah. after that because yeah. The... yeah 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 i mean i don't i don't even be- genuinely believe that i need to even go into this because like it is such a like if you don't know what i mean when i talk about global global islamophobia like you are just like turn the show off the show is not for you um, um don't, well, t- don't turn it off turn the volume down yeah um but yeah like like you know um and, I, and I'm not just talking about kind of like names, you know, Muslims being called names in the playground and stuff like that, although that is like also a very like horrendous act of Islamophobia. I'm talking about very, very material, you know, I'm talking about Guantanamo mm. Bay. I'm talking about um, bombs being dropped, you know, from Afghanistan and Iraq to S- Somalia and um, wherever there's Muslim, pop- you know, um, uh, populated countries i'm talking about isis i'm talking about the entire middle east all of these things are very 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 neatly can be very neatly folded into the rhetoric of islamophobia and the narrative of like the war and terror being against um um uh, supposed islamist fundamentalism essentially what i'm trying to say here is the west have purported this one narrative right that um, these groups, the ISIS and Al Qaeda and the Taliban, they're they're terrorists. They're they're fundamentalists, right? Um, and we need to invade these countries, and we need to, you know, uh, control their governments and control their economies and control their trade trade and taxes and apply sanctions and and all of these things, which coincidentally economically financially benefit the West. You know, we need to do all of these things because these countries are all terrorists. Now, in order to maintain the narrative that these groups and and this this demographic of people are all terrorists they needed to mandate islamophobia they needed to get the world to believe Mm. that islam is violent that muslims are violent that muslims are terrorists like it is a western it is a imperialist you know imperialist imperialist logic sanctioned narrative right um so when we see the fallout of Islamophobia, again, I'm talking about material things from bombs being dropped, from, you know, uh, prisons um, being created just for, like, suspects of Islamophobia. I'm talking about policies of preventing this country. I'm talking about Muslim women getting kicked in the stomach for wearing, you know, a pregnant Muslim woman getting kicked in the stomach for wearing a burqa in, in France. I'm talking about the hijab being banned in France. All of these things. This is all the fallout from what happened in 2001 when Bush came for, Bush and Blair came forward and coined the term war and terror and presented 1.6 billion people in this world as being violent and barbaric and and extremists right yeah it's like obviously what happened in 9-11 was a tragedy and many innocent lives were lost Mm -hmm. and nobody deserves to die especially in that way yeah however i do wonder about how many Muslim lives have been affected in the wake of that as opposed to yep. how many lives were yep. lost in uh-huh. the actual incident uh-huh. itself. Uh-huh. If we're going to talk about numbers, and again, like, I know, like, I feel, I feel, I don't feel right doing this because, like, a death is a death and a death is first and foremost a tragedy, right? But if we're going to look at the scale of violence, okay, because because what we're talking about is we're talking about um, action and response. We're talking about 9-11 as an action and we're talking about the war on terror as a response. So, so in order for us to do that, we need to look at the scale of violence. If it, there was, it was 1,200 or 1,400 people that died in 9-11, I can't remember exactly. Um, that is the number that, of people that died in 9-11. Millions of people have died in the war of terror or have been maimed or have been displaced. Like, you cannot compare the scale of violence. You cannot say one thing mandated the other thing. You cannot say that. Um, and again, when you look at who has benefited from the war on terror, like, Theresa May's husband, for example, was head of a company that owns BAE Systems, which, again, is one of the largest arms producers in the world. Good. <laughs> The, uh, the the statistics paint a story and it's a story that people need to heed um yeah it's just it's very very messed up it's very 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 messed up i think this is exclusively a story of western imperialism um because to be honest with you and again like i've spoken about afghanistan from the 80s if we go further back and we think about what had happened in afghanistan before then that made them like susceptible to like factionalism and regional violence in the country is literally colonialism you know it is literally colonialism when britain colonized the subcontinent and then when they left and they drew the durand line which is the border that you know um 
the, the border that kind of created Afghanistan as the modern nation state that it is today, they did so having caused extreme regionalism, extreme factionalism within the country so that people were never able to like unite as a nation state because the nation state itself is imaginary. You know, and that makes them susceptible to warring, warring factions, you know. So it, <sighs> Afghanistan is the grave of empire. It is the grave of empire. Um, and if, you know, what I'm talking about, I've been talking about people that have died, people that have been displaced. And, if, and, and there's another part of it of when we think about the people that have been left in Afghanistan, opium usage has, has I mean, uh, in the in the 90s, I think it was at like 0%. Now it's like a 900% increase um like the, most of the world's heroin is comes from like afghanistan and people have massive massive opium problems um babies are being born on mass with deformities because of the radiation from bombs that have been dropped um yeah like it's not a geopolitical it's not a geospecific problem it's a, a western problem it's a british problem it's, it is an american problem mm-hmm. um and it is one thing I really want to point out is the fact that like war is not a human right. So many people kind of really saw the war on terror as being a necessary thing to fight. You know the 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 bogeyman. You know the 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 Muslims, the terrorists, the extremists. War is not a human right. It's absolutely not, um, and it's not the right of America or Britain to say which government should be in place in which country because America and Britain love to do that. Mm-hmm. Like literally what gives them the right what gives them the right yeah what gives them the right other than the fact that like they have more arms and more money than most other countries yeah. if say for example we're not going to think about like the us's involvement in it and their ousting etc what are your thoughts on the actual the government that has been in place for the past 20 years um like if we if we if we're not looking at it from a perspective of oh um the u.s have intervened like do we think that they actually are do we think that they are better for the people of afghanistan compared to the taliban i think i think you i mean anything is better than the taliban (laughs) that goes without saying but i don't think you can separate um uh the kind of issue of western imperialism from the governance of afghanistan because the, it was a U.S. state-sanctioned government, you know? Like, you can't say this is a government in their own right that were democratically elected. You can't say that. The last time they had a democratically elected government, it was a socialist government. That's what the people wanted. Um, and the U.S., you know, in accordance to their supposed God-given right, you know, just, like, bulldozed in afghanistan is very very key in the story of like worldwide islamophobia global islamophobia and i wanted to talk more about the kind of fallout of that like on on the global stage i mean it's just really funny that people kind of adopt this very very thin veneer of like liberalism um and in actuality it's really just imperialist logic in the first instance the people who have problems with this it's a bit mad because this is a british problem like the britain Mm. and 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 america are literally what created this problem i've seen a lot of posts like it just comes up on my facebook and these i'm not gonna go into it but certain people um, yeah certain demographics commenting on it saying Obviously, it's sad, but why are we not giving to our homeless here? Blah, blah, oh, blah, blah. this thing, yeah, it's it's so crazy. It's so crazy. Where are you the the rest of the time? Like yeah, when so this why is not happening? No, but why? What were you talking about? you all of a sudden the issue of homelessness is so dear and so personal to you, and it's such a huge injustice to you. Where was your campaigning for the homeless people? before this happened yeah. all of a sudden like they're so concerned about the homeless like the issue of homelessness if people were genuinely that concerned homelessness would not be a problem it wouldn't mm. it's a problem because people don't care they only use it as a talking point which is even disgusting because you because it, it's actually a problem and it needs attention right and and it needs you know some kind of like politi- political political lobbying um and and the only kind of the extent of your like engagement with the issue of homelessness is to use it as a talking point against muslim muslim refugees like 
you're very very there's like you're very you're a very disgusting person if that's what you're doing mm. I, um, the other thing that i just wanted to touch on was actually i saw actually i, I had like a little bit of like a correction point myself because yeah. i saw on one of the meme pages someone um posting a screenshot of a bbc article and it was basically saying about um how pakistan isn't taking any more um refugees from afghanistan yeah. and it, it the, the caption was uh like why are they making this out we took so many we took like millions and i saw that and i was just a bit like fair but i still think i i think i don't think you should like put the the barriers up you know what i mean yeah. then i actually went and looked into it and i saw a graph of how many refugees um pakistan has let in compared to the uk and the us i think and the uk this time have agreed for twenty four thousand, wasn't it it's i saw twenty thousand, yeah, yeah something around there but if you look at the comparison like it's crazy and obviously you've got to take into consideration land mass etc and proximity to the country however Twenty four thousand is pitiful. Yeah, Twenty thousand exactly. is pitiful compared to the amount of people that have been that have died, that have been maimed, that have been displaced because of your actions. You man have you you definitely have resources. The government definitely have resources because they've been benefiting from the war for twenty for the past twenty years. Mm-hmm. You know, so you have the P to be able to help these people. To 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 say that that you're not going to is um is willful. It's it's a deliberate mm-hmm. kind of um extending and and withdrawing of 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 like sympathy mm. really i saw him a quote that was saying i'd much rather have someone that has crossed deserts and seas to save their family and get a better life than so i'd much rather live next door to them than someone who wouldn't even cross the road to help someone like that mm. you know what i mean yeah 100 like, and also i want to say like where is the all lives matter brigade Mm. you man that were doing up all lives matter it's not just black lives it's all lives that matter okay cool where are you man mm. like come on this is a humanitarian crisis where are you speak up <sighs> it's just it's, it's pitiful oh and another thing as well you know like these people they're they're so like um uh s- such a lack of insight into what's going on right now yeah and it's like britain are the same people who like were literally going crazy over like loo roll in the supermarket at the thought of a lockdown and yet you can't understand why people would want to move country to 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 basically have a chance to live i just it just it does really does make you think as well like how are people able to say yeah it's like how are they able to be with themselves saying yeah it's sad but blah 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 but like but there was the book yeah exactly like like how how do you how can you what's called quash that like Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i I don't really get how people can be like that and i also wanted to talk about like um so obviously like as a muslim woman there is okay well so first of all uh, i've been seeing a lot of kind of like discussions around the fact that people don't feel comfortable with afghan men like afghan male refugees coming into the country because um muslim men are barbaric and you know like sexually abusive and all of these things like it is literally steeped in so much islamophobia because um a a, quite a popular narrative that has come out of this whole like you know crisis in afghanistan right now is the 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 narrative of um like uh, misogyny you know like the fact that women and children like women specifically have it worse um and there is there are definitely points to be made here about the disproportionate kind of effects of like you know war and and crisis and violence that women face because it's true there is an added level of misogyny during times of like depravity um and and that does definitely need to be considered and spoken about however i feel extremely as a muslim woman i feel extremely 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 uncomfortable with non-muslim women speaking on this um white feminism has basically adopted this narrative and they're so kind of like afghan women this and afghan women this and we need to rescue the poor muslim afghan women from the muslim men and because they're so oppressed and 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 you know islam is so misogynistic and so oppressive and blah 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 like i mean first of all (laughs) first of all look at your own men (laughs) like look at your own men you you in this country where domestic violence cases rise when the when the men's football team lose like look at your own country like the the west is not 
this haven of like gender liberation and like you know sexual freedom and the way that people present it to be and second of all stay out of muslim women's business like it's i you know what personally i was having this conversation with my friend the other day i personally find it so difficult okay so obviously patriarchy is a global apparatus right and patriarchy has a um different expression in every regional context so every culture has its own version of patriarchy and its own interaction and its own relationship with patriarchy now the specific context that muslim women face patriarchy in like it obviously needs to be spoken about things need to be done about it me as a muslim woman i have always always felt incredibly kind of like uncomfortable and um i've always struggled with with how to talk about you know the specific patriarchy that muslim women face because of not wanting to feed into islamophobic tropes because i don't want non-muslim people you know white people specifically to 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 listen to to my conversation about you know muslim patriarchy and co-opt that into their narrative of islam is oppressive you know islam is misogynistic islam is this islam is that mm-hmm. and i completely completely sympathize with the afghan woman now in this case because yes there's there's an element of this where afghan women are affected differently to men but also it's not the place of non-white west sorry non-muslim white western people to co-opt their story and 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 kind of you know reconfigure it to fit their own um liberal narrative that is essentially islamophobic mm. because it is basically squishing it all together and massively oversimplifying an issue and not taking into account intersectionality at all why do you think as um a woman who might be a feminist but who is not from that demographic why do you think that you are able to offer or are helping by pushing this narrative if Mm -hmm. anything like this isn't saying you don't raise awareness but just look for um figures from that demographic and amplify what they're saying rather than putting your own two penneth in i also find it extremely extremely like problematic when like white women here in the west try to talk about gender violence and they use a collective term we like i've seen a couple like you know high profile white women come forward to talk about the you know the women in afghanistan and, and and they make points like we face you know disproportionate gender violence and you know women have always been you know oppressed in this way and that way and blah blah blah, blah. and i'm like who's we like who's actually we like what are you okay like what do you mean you and me we're not the same like we're not we're not kinfolk we're not our, our 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 material realities are not the same our political subjectivities are not the same our you know lived experiences are not the same like why are you using this collective term we because essentially what you're doing is co-opting a specifically um you know islamophobic and racist kind of oppression um to to, to align yourself with that as though you too are a victim of that just because you're you know you're like it's, it's women like because you're both women it's not the same thing me even me even like me as a muslim south asian woman i would never i would never try to align myself with afghan women who are going through what they're going through because their proximity to death is very very different to my own proximity to death you know as as someone in the west you know even though i have that insight of islamophobia and and racism it's not the same at all and therefore if i'm speaking about the 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 the, what you know the violence that afghan women face i would not use the collective term we because i'm not deluded I'm not deluded and white women are even way, way, way more far removed from that reality than I am, you know? In our opinion. In my opinion. Well, yeah. I mean, no, that's that's objectively true. They are mm. way more far removed from, from the, the reality of Islamophobia and, and racism than, you know, yeah, a, an Afghan yeah. a, an Afghan Muslim woman. That is just objectively what the truth is. So when white women are come forward and they're like, oh my God, sisterhood, you know, like we need to speak out for us. I'm like, well, no, because you man are like, you know, and it's crazy because in most cases it's like, you actually, unless, you know, when when it's not like a specific thing happening, like, you know, this crisis, you man are not speaking about racism. You man are not speaking about Islamophobia. Mm -hmm. So why you, and and you know what, actually another thing that I wanted to talk about, um, I wanted to compare again, like I know we can't compare tragedies because a tragedy is a tragedy, but people are coming forward to, 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 you know, like now express um, support, you know, specifically for like Afghanistani, Afghan women, because, you know, human rights and all of that. Okay, well, where were your, where was your sense of human rights when it came to like Palestinian women? 
Mm. You know, like, what, how come you man were not speaking about Palestine the same way you are now speaking about Afghanistan? And it's because, in my opinion, the perpetrators of what's going on in Afghanistan are also Muslims, the Taliban, right? So they're able to kind of like point their finger at Muslims. It feeds their narrative of Islamophobia. It feeds into Islamophobic tropes. It, and, and like, that's why it's so easy to do. Whereas when it comes to Palestinian women, you don't want to do that because the perpetrators are not Muslim. Like you cannot, you cannot, if, if you are standing up for Afghanistan, Afghan women on an ideological basis, and if your ideology has any integrity, why is it not, um, why, why is it differential? You know, why is it only differentially applied? Why is it not universal? And another thing, (laughs) another thing, okay. Muslim women don't need rescuing by white women. We don't need rescuing by you guys. If you look historically, especially South Asian women, especially South Asian women, if you look at the history of, you know, the West in the subcontinent, oh my God, you know one thing that really roused me up, Carlos? One thing that really roused me up, yeah, is like, you know, this whole first wave, second wave, third wave of feminism, like feminism has come in waves, right? It's so, and the fourth wave is what we're supposed to be in now, which is like intersectional, because now we're talking about feminism with race, through the lens of race, right? My guy, you know what was happening to like South Asian women during the time of empire? You know, white women were hella complicit. Hella complicit. You see these suffragettes and suffragists and all of these men, yeah? They're hailed and lauded as like absolute heroes here in the West. Yeah. And then you go and you look at actually what were they doing at the time? What was the what was the what was their politics at the time? They were all pro empire. They're literally yeah. pro empire. Yeah. I'm not even talking about women who don't say it, complicit in, the, in in their silence. I'm talking about women who were literally campaigning in the same way that the men were for empire. You know, yeah. they were literally white, like you know, like um. Uh, feminist activists like you know people in in Britain who were lord who are to this day lauded as feminist activists and you go back and see what their politics was at the time and they're literally campaigning for empire like actively campaigning they're going out of their way they're doing up like activities to campaign for empire you know I'm talking about the white women that were in Britain that were literally like oppressing the women they were in charge of oppressing the 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 poor brown women at the time so when white women talk about you know to this day and by the way you know when i talk about the 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 kind of what what afghan women for example are facing today it is a structural continuity of you know the the logic of colonialism right so when white women now come forward and they try to do up like gang i'm like "Uh uh-uh no like you're not gang you're actually not gang stop using collective pronouns Mm. you you, we're not the same we're not the same it really 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 riles me up you know um gaitri spivak she's like one of the foremost like subcontinental um post-colonial writers she wrote can the subaltern speak i don't know if you've heard of it it's like the the it's the absolute bane of my life it's this real it's this paper and it's absolutely it's so theory dense but it's, it was kind of like uh, a foundational theory and like all the work, academic work that I've ever done because of the nature of my academic work being like post-colonial and stuff. Um, and, and she basically, the subaltern is like the, the person who's like oppressed, right? The person who is like at the, at the um, bottom of the hierarchy. And in this paper, she talks about how can the subaltern speak? Can the subaltern have agency? And she speaks specifically about, um, she uses the, the, the line that um, white people white men believe they need to save save brown women from brown men that's what she says specifically and it's such a and it's and and she says that and it is so played out today do you know what i mean like especially now when you look at what's going on in afghanistan you man created the turmoil and now you think you have like now you think you have to save these brown women from the brown men that you helped put into place to to wreak this havoc yeah, the reason why they ended up getting radicalised, like you were saying, in terms of that school in the 70s, 80s, yeah. is because of the... Um, the proxy war. In, yeah, exactly. But that's, it's as simple as that. Like, um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I really just, just leave Muslim women alone, bro. Like, leave leave Asian women alone. Leave Muslim women alone. Like, we're actually cool, it. We're not gang. Yeah. We don't need you. We don't need saving. Like They want you out. They'll ask for it. My guy. And, and you know what? Let me even say something, yeah? The way that these guys look at, like, in the West, they look at, like, feminism. Maybe this is a, this is a conversation we need to have more like talking about like white feminism like mm. I, this is this is i think would be a very interesting conversation but you see the way that these men talk about the west as as a feminist like you know utopia almost 
like all the radical feminism has, has come from the West and it's been the West that's that's paved the way for feminism. Uh-uh. I, I don't know who you are speaking for, but it is not me. When I think about my feminist idols, I don't think about josephine butler and emmeline pankhurst <laughs> she's 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 not my idol uh-uh, i'm ta- i'm i i think about the women in bangladesh and 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 you know who were up in arms you know i'm, I'm i think about guerrilla fighters that's who i think about when i think about who are the women that i need to thank for me being where i am today i found it really interesting when you were talking about um, marla sen and the book that she wrote and then i looked into the um who the book's actually about yeah was, um, was it Fulham? Yeah, Fulham Davy, yeah. Yeah, and like her story as well. Like, yeah. Like, again, I uh-huh, didn't uh-huh. know. My guy, that, my yeah. guy, listen, I'm telling you, like my ancestors, they've been doing this. Like they're 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 strong, they're violent, they're dangerous, like in every way that they need to be. Like we, brown women have never needed saving from white women. We never have and, and to this day we don't, you know. So all of you white women that are fixing your throat to speak up against a poor brown woman, just shut just shut your throat. Don't we don't need it, it's calm. Res- go go res- chat res- to your government go chat to your government respectfully innit? not respectfully not for me anyway from carlos maybe <laughs> <laughs> just got around five minutes left so just gonna have a little bit of a natter about most recent news we've been having a, like a really um what's called in-depth conversation mm. it's been really serious mm-hmm. so halima what funny stuff do you have to bring to the table today <clears throat> I don't really have any funny, funny things. Well, actually, I'll tell you what I've been mm. up to. Uh, what was I, what what I did yesterday? Um, so obviously, like we have spot, well, I have spoken extensively about um the marriage situation in my family, oh, um, gosh. and you know the whole arranged marriage thing, and my parents like being on my back about marriage and all that kind of stuff. And in Bengali culture, like um, so so, uh, gold is like a big thing in like South Asian cultures, right? Like, like, I don't, if you'll see me, like I'm just, I'm always, like everything I wear is just gold. Like I am always wearing gold. Um, and my, my parents love to buy me gold because, um, I think like, I think traditionally gold is kind of like when a woman gets married, she needs to have like a lot of gold. It's kind of like her financial safety net, I guess in some ways, or it's just the mark of a married woman, right? A woman adorned in gold is the mark of a married woman. Um, now, in Bengali culture, I think it's the same in more South Asian cultures, when a woman gets married, um, she gets her wedding gold. So, like, the groom side give a wedding gold set, like an expensive wedding gold set, and her parents also give her a wedding gold set. Um, my parent, my my mum, my, my parents just decided that they want to buy my wedding gold set, like, right now. So for the past few weeks, we have been gold shopping for my wedding gold set. Um, and you've been complicit in that. I mean, either way, they have to give it to me, right? Like mm. either way, they have to give it to me. They, they. So a lot of like a lot of families, you know, would buy the wedding the the gold set. Um, like sometimes like years before the 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 wedding. Like for me, like I don't even have a, a fiance or anything like that. My wedding is not. It's not as though like I've got a wedding day. I'm getting married and then buying it in preparation for the wedding. They've just bought it because it's something that they know they will need to get. Um, and I think my dad was just like i'd rather just do it now like kind of get it out of the way mm. it's done um so yeah i've been like wedding gold shopping and have you got have you got it or is um so me and my sister we both went to like they both did ours together because my sister is she's 18 months younger than me and my parents are convinced that we're both getting married like next year as in like the wedding is gonna happen next year Can't wait. with my imaginary fiance <laughs> um so yeah me and my sister went i she i the one that i picked they don't have anymore um so i got my so my sister got my sister got her full set the big like gold you know massive huge necklace the earrings her bangles she got all of that i got my bangles but my necklace and um earring set has been ordered so they're they're making it now and it will be here in like a few weeks um because they're custom making my one so so basically guys in a few weeks we're all gonna go to a big wedding oh my god so yesterday like so my mom so she she bought yesterday but we, we've been like for the past few weeks we've been a couple of times because obviously they're really really expensive and like it's a huge kind of like 
investment so you you can't just buy like straight away you kind of you really have to do your shopping and make sure like okay like and because it's not just like financially it's a big thing but symbolically as well like for example like every bengali woman to this day will have her like wedding gold set and it's like her kind of like they become family heirlooms basically because it's stuff that you then pass down to your children and and all that kind of stuff so they, they have a huge like symbolic importance as well um and then so we've been going for the past couple of weeks and then yesterday my mom like and you got you have to do a lot of like negotiating and stuff like that as well because they're such high ticket items so we finalized on the deal on my sister's like set and then my mom like gave the money she handed over the money and then she turned to my sister and she was like congratulations this is the first step in your marriage oh my god and then me and my sister were just like you're taking like you're taking the mic like we're just like heavily rolling our eyes like i knew this is why you wanted to do it like Mm. i knew honestly i believe my parents are quite anxious about the fact that i'm not married yet and I'm like quite resistant to 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 their to their you know advances. So I feel like they this is the closest thing that they could do to feel as though they've got mm. the ball rolling. Is you know? is there any more? Is there any? Is there actually anything more they can do in terms of rolling a ball? <laughs> I, I've I've written it. I've written it, but I haven't taken the photo. Like I wrote wrote it, and then like. What are the photos like? Are they like passport photos though? No, Carlos. Like me in like Asian clothes, just just like <laughs> smiling, you know, looking cute. Um, yeah, she's been on my back foot to get them to her for weeks, and I just haven't. that's where i'm at right now that's where i'm at right now right, yeah so that's why like you'll notice i've got a new ring this is not wedding this is not um this is not wedding so my parents love buying me gold right so we're in the gold shop they're buying the wedding set which is like a couple thousand pounds anyway and then and then my mom's like oh well me and your dad we want to buy you like some more stuff like um get this chain um oh yeah let's now let's look at rings like it's it's scary it's actually mm. scary like how obsessed they are with buying us gold and i know it's all to do with me being a married woman eventually mm. like i know it's all leading to that but yeah i've got a new gold ring <laughs> i mean you're just loving it at the moment yeah, i don't complain because i love it. gold and i love yeah. to wear gold so like i don't really complain but i suppose at least it's still even if the marriage isn't there yet it's still like symbolic of your culture and that so yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. So we're going to round things off there. Thank you for sh- show and tell. Be <laughs> <laughs> you know, looking for an update on your marriage journey, your, your next step of your marriage journey in a few months time. Yeah. We'll find we'll out. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> but yeah, thanks to everyone that has tuned in today to Mango Masala. This has been Gerns and Halima on Pi Radio Manchester's number one youth radio station. 